Herm Edwards of Arizona State, the head football coach there, joining us now. And Herm, uh, first off, I want to check in with you, see how you're doing. Are you guys staying he uh, healthy and safe out there in Arizona? Well, that's, that is the goal, I think, for all American citizens right now, just people all across the world. In fact, that um, we all become linked when you think about team, you think about football. We're all on the same team. I think how we handle our affairs uh, once we leave our homes is very, very important. We have to protect our teammates. Yep. We can't be, um, obviously, a, one of those players that uh, it's all about him, right? It's really about the team right now. And I think the more we do that, the more we'll find our way out of this situation. When I reached out to your PR team a couple of weeks ago on Arizona State's website, we shot to Mark and uh, I said, we'd love to have Coach for our NFL draft show. And he said, you were backed up with about 120 interviews <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago. Coach, what number you at now? How many Zooms have you done since this COVID thing started? I don't try to count them. I, I just try <laughs> to do the best I can to, to, to provide uh, information to folks. And it's humbling that uh, a lot of people are reaching out for me to come on their shows. And so um, it's always a good thing because, you, you know, not only do you represent football, but you represent ASU and the brand, what we're trying to build here. At our university, uh, I want to get right into the NFL draft. A, a great weekend, and the Niners obviously were interested in them. One of the guys you know very well, Brandon Ayuk. Um, what can you tell us about Brandon Ayuk that the 49er fans are going to see on the field? Well, very competitive uh, as a football player, and um, you know he, he's uh, heading in the right direction as far as is, is his uh, ability to grow uh, and become better. He was a JC guy coming in here. And uh, he has kind of matured from the first two years he played here to where he's going to now. Uh, I think he's hungry for knowledge. Uh, he works at it. I mean, he, he wants to be, he wants to be great. He, he wants to, he wants to be, a, you know, a really good football player. It, it's a part of his DNA. I mean, he has waited for this moment. Uh, when he came here, that was the mindset. I want to go play in the NFL. Lo and behold, he, he worked his way into becoming a first-round draft choice. And to a team that basically can use his skill set, he's very explosive with the ball in his hand, uh, whether he plays on the outside or inside. And he can run. He, he can run with the ball in his hand. In other words, when you look at the, the number uh, of receptions, but you look at the yards, mm -hmm. 60 yards, uh, he has a long wingspan. Everybody's talking about his 80-inch you know, reach wingspan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does a great job of, of – of, when the 50-50 ball's up, to catching it, he catches it with his hands. Uh, his speed, you know, he has good speed. Like some people say, well, you know, I'm not saying he is this guy, but he reminds me a lot of Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice ran 4-6, by the way. Uh -huh. so if he had the ball in his hand, he didn't catch it. So he has football speed. And, yes. and I think that'll show up when you watch him play. Now, I did some research, and I read an article, and, I, and I'm assuming this is all correct, but John Lynch's wife called you before they took Ayuk. Can you take viewers into what he happened? Called, he called my wife Liv. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because they're friends, and they were talking and chit-chatting, and then um, obviously uh, as that thing, you know, they hung up, and uh, a few minutes later, the uh, the trade goes in. And, uh -huh. and, uh, then within that time, John texts me, so we're going to get your guy. <laughs> and, uh, we were excited. We were excited for John and Coach Shanahan, because Coach Shanahan had to, had to, had to buy into this too. This was the guy that, that he looked at, and I think the more time they spent watching tape, because tape is players' resume, to be quite honest. And just the more they, they watched him play, the more comfortable they became saying, you know, if we can get this guy right around here, we have an opportunity to do that, we're going to do it. And good for them, because I, I thought they had a good draft. They filled the need uh, as far as the defensive line, they needed to do that. Uh, you know, when you look at this team and how it was built, it was built with 
with the big guys up front on the offensive line as well as the defensive line. And then they got into the, to, to the quarterback. We got to get a quarterback in here. And then they surrounded him with skilled players. So uh, I think they, they have a DNA of what they're trying to build there. And, and, and the fruits of their labor is paying off for them. But I think one of the things, too, the Niners, both I've been around them, especially this past year, is that character guy. What kind of character guy is, is Brandon? How does he fit into that culture when he steps on the Niners? Well, well that's important. And, you, and, and that's developed by the players you draft. Uh, you know, the players actually establish the locker room environment. And you have to have guys that have good character, especially when you hit some low times. And when you think about how this thing was built, um, they weren't successful right away. Mm-hmm. There was a process to it all. And, and lo and behold, you know, to do that, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of naysayers on the outside of the building, right? And they never let that environment of what they were saying outside of the building, the players and the coaching staff, that never let that affect their mindset of what they were trying to do, along with ownership. You have to have strong ownership when you go through a process of what San Francisco has gone through. People forget about the first two years now. We know? don't. Some of us don't. <laughs> but, but, but I'm saying I think the players understood, hey, we're going to have to build this, stay strong, stay committed to each other. And, and lo and behold, they've turned this thing around, and, and they're going to be in the mix for years to come. And we're referencing one of the guys that has helped build this, John Lynch. You have a very special relationship with him, Coach. Can you tell viewers, uh, take them behind the scenes about your relationship with uh, John Lynch? Well, it started back in 96 uh, when, I, when I was assistant head coach with Tampa Bay, and, and John was a guy that I was able to coach. And our relationship kind of stemmed from there. You know, we're, we're all we're Catholics. And so uh, with that being said, uh, you know, John and, and Linda – uh, we're nice enough and kind enough to uh, become the, the godparents of our son, Marcus, mm-hmm. and vice versa. They flipped it on us and asked us to become godparents of Leah. So, you know, that relationship has been been fostered from 96 until right now. I mean, we're, we're real close with the family. Uh, we're always constantly in communications with them. Uh, me and John are always talking. We actually went on a, on a, on a family uh, golfing trip over in Ireland. You know, Valley Bundy. You know, we went over there with with John and his dad and his brothers and, and some folks, and that was that was quite a trip. Now it was it was it was a lot of fun. And I keep telling John, we gotta go back. We gotta find a way to go back. You know, so yeah. we'll, we'll see where we're at. And we can't wait to go back and get back to normal, Coach. One of the reasons I reached out to you, you have strong Northern California roots, growing up in Monterey. You have a strong connection to the Bay Area. Um, can you go back to when you grew up in Monterey and kind of how that prepared you, like your life? I mean, you have such a fascinating life, Coach. Your resume goes on and on. Well, I was fortunate, you know, I, I had a good family situation. My, fa- my father was, a, was in the Army. Uh, my, my mom was a, was a German war bride. So there was a lot of structure in our home. Uh, right away, you learned disciplines. You, you learned that you were required to do certain things uh, that were a part of your, what we call chores back then, you know, and, and you understood that. Re- respecting people, I thought, was very important. Uh, looking at people with an open mind and not having a closed mind, you know, and, and, and and the choices and the choices that you made, there were consequences. And that was that was talked to me as a, at an early age. So there are consequences for the decisions you're going to make. And sometimes, you know, those habits and things we do kind of recreate who you are. Uh, my father was always big on this, you know, because he was a master sergeant. He was a leader of men. He said, don't be a follower. You don't want to be a follower in life. And he said, the thing I'm going to tell you right now, you don't want to be liked. You want to be respected. And sometimes that's hard to do as a young person. You know, you sure. can't follow the crowd. You, you don't want to be a follower. You want to be a leader. So that was instilled in me at a very young age. And, and it's okay to be different. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You know, you don't have to follow everybody else. You do the right thing. Just keep doing the right thing. And, and that was kind of my mantra growing up. 
with the work ethic. And, and then, like you say, growing up on the West Coast and then going to high school, I was bus to a predominantly white high school. I grew up in the desegregation era of, of, of our country and uh, social unrest, protest, yeah. equal opportunity, all those things were a part of what I, what I witnessed growing up. And then I decided to go to Cal Berkeley. Well, that's, that's a whole different story when you go there, right? When you go yep. there in high school, 1972, it's kind of, <laughs> it's eye-opening to say the least. Uh -huh. but, but you gather a lot of information and that's what we are. We're all information gatherers, you know, and everything I think everyone has learned in their life they've actually learned from someone else. And so you take those things in your life and you kind of formulate what you're going to become. So, you know, I'm a West Coast guy. I mean, I was born in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, uh, but was on the West Coast since I was five years old. So. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that I learned is, you know, just living on the West Coast. West Coast is a little bit different than the East Coast or the Midwest. And so that's just part of it. Uh, but I think it's all about respecting each other. That's the main thing. You got to respect people that you surround yourself with. You got to respect your neighbors. And I think if you do that, you get that in return. Coach, just listening to you, uh, it would be easy as a recruit to come to come play for you because you just listen to you and want to run through a wall for you. Uh, I was at spring training, and uh, Gabe Cap of the Giants, he spoke, and one of the first days I was there, the first thing he said, Herm Edwards talked to us today, and he just lit up. Um, can you take us and, and let us know what you talked to the Giants about or kind of how you were invited to speak with the Giants in spring? Well, it was, it was an honor to do that because I grew up a Giant fan. And I told Coach, I said, look, I, I grew up in the era where it was Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, yes, sir. Juan Marichal, um, Jim Hart, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Tio Fuentes. Uh, all yep. those guys, you know, Hal and Ear, I mean, the Falou brothers, uh, 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 Barry Bonds' uh, daddy, you know, I mean, the, the, yes. I grew up in that era, Willie McCovey, Orlando Cepeda, so I was a giant fan. Yep. And um, it was just ironic, uh, Willie Mays, obviously, and it was ironic that I actually got to speak to the Giants. It was like I grew up a baseball guy. And so I was, I was excited about, you know, visiting with the guys and, and just told them about being a professional in, in that um, – you know, there's a lot of kids that emulate, you know, you guys, and they want to be you guys. And I think with the world we live in now, with, with this social media thing, everything we say and do as professionals, it trickles down. And I think we're all ambassadors for the sport we play. And I challenged them this way. I said, you know, don't lose a little kid in you. I took them back to their days when they first put on their professional baseball hat and walked in the locker room. I said, do you understand that feeling? Never let that leave you. Cause you got to have that in you. You got to enjoy the game of baseball, you know? And, and, and so it, it was a great visit with those guys. And then obviously they haven't got started yet. Right. <laughs> I was kind of watching and they were out here. So we're kind of watching the, you know, the, the preseason games and, you know, I'm watching them and, and I can't wait cause I'm, I was going to go to a game and hopefully I can still do that if they ever get started back. But sure. it was quite an experience for me. Um, do you spend a lot of time in Northern California in the offseason? I mean, football is, a, you know. Well, we still have a home in Carmel. So yes. we're right down there in Central California. So we'll go back in the summer. Uh, and, you know, so we're there for about two months. Uh, then we come back to, to Tempe, obviously. But, uh, yeah, our home is there. Even the times, I, you know, when I was working for Bristol before I got back into coaching, mm -hmm. we lived in Carmel. So I made the commute every day. You know, every week I, I would go up to San Jose, catch the plane out of San Jose, and go back to Bristol, Connecticut. So I was a commuter. Far as doing my job. <laughs> um, we talk a little bit about COVID and the things that have happened. It's obviously, it's just devastating, but there has been some good that comes out of it. And I think of a guy like Stephen Curry up here with the Warriors and how he's interacted with Dr. Fauci and some of the platforms that all of these athletes 
are on and, and supporting people. The Niners are great in the community as well. But what have you thought about maybe a guy like Steph or, or people you see that are using their platform for good and trying to help during these times? Well, that's what's great about uh, being an athlete or a celebrity per se, uh, that you have an opportunity to speak on this situation. You know, and, I, and I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of that here, here of late. And I think we have to continue this. We have to trust in our hopes and not our fears. I think that's very important. And you know, we live in a, we live in a world where uh, energy and emotion make the world go round. Yeah. Uh, but I think the facts, common sense, and calmness about how we decide to do things, that slows things down. Yeah. And, and, and I keep getting on to the subject about basically we're all on the same team mm -hmm. and that the quarterback of the team are the medical professionals. Mm -hmm. Much as we want to do things on our own, the quarterbacks are the medical professionals. And when they tell us it's safe uh, to do things that we normally would like to do, then it's safe. And until then, it really doesn't matter what anybody else says because they are the quarterbacks right now. And you got to trust those folks. That's what they do. They do this. That, that is their job. Their intent is to try to get us back yeah. to what we have done in the past. But right now, we're in a temporary hold. Yeah. And that's, that's, just, you know, that, that, that's kind of not who we are because we live in, in a country where we have these liberties and we have this access to do things, right? Well, right now, we're asking ourselves to, we got we to gotta protect our neighbor. We've yeah. got to protect our teammates. And I think that's very important. Coach, uh, there's been so many ideas about football when it comes back without fans, even college football in the spring. Mm -hmm. um, you're a little more connected than I am. So what are you hearing? What is your gut feeling about how this is all going to play out? Well, I think this. I think if it's safe, and we, we're on a college campus, so we're a little bit different than pro football. Sure. These are college, they're student athletes. And I think if, if you say that you're trying to play football, but there's no – say fans in the stands or spectators well if it's not safe for them why is it safe for the football players because the last time i checked this is not a social distancing sport <laughs> if you social distancing in this sport you're not gonna win many games right? <laughs> so if you can imagine if you're a, a parent of a, of a student athlete and they tell you well we're gonna try to play but no fans if you're a parent, you're going, well, if there's no fans, why is it okay for my son to play? Sure. And I get that. I really do because I think when you, when you have kids, you, you, you know, you, you're the adults and you get to make those decisions. Like I said, these are not pro, pro athletes. These are student athletes. And as much as we want to get back and everybody wants to get back, I think there's a lot of hurdles still to be, uh, you know, find a way to jump over those hurdles. But in a way that we protect people. Because safety is the most important thing. And I understand the economy right now. I understand people losing their jobs. Uh, you know, we all have to, we all suffer when that happens. Uh, but I think right now safety is important. And I think if we continue to understand that and listen to the doctors, they'll give us the path to follow. Um, just a couple more, Coach. I know your time is precious. Um, obviously, we care about Stanford and Cal up here. You play yeah. them every year. Um, what have you thought about what, you know, Coach Shaw has built and Coach Wilcox is building up at Cal? Well, I expect Coach Shaw. I've known him for a long time, and Coach Wilcox as, as well. And, um, you know, Coach Shaw speaks on his, on, his, on his own, on his laurels and what he's done. Uh, very, very consistent program there at Stanford. And they do it a different way. They really do. They do it a different way. How they recruit, the type of players they recruit, and the fact the standards of being a student athlete there. Uh, I, I was a Cal guy. I, I get Cal. and. and sure. And I feel Coach Wilcox has done a great job of establishing identity, uh, identity for those guys. And 
they play great defense. They really do. And I can remember playing them last year there. It was, it was a struggle. And both teams were playing. And we made a couple plays at the end to win. Um, but they're a handful. And they're, they're a program now. When you see them, you go, okay, you better get ready. So they've kind of established their identity, their DNA. And, and that's good to see. Because, you know, when you grow up in that Bay Area, you get it. I, I was involved in the big game. I get it. The big game's the big game, right? <laughs> so I grew up watching that stuff and then ended up playing it a couple times. And, and by the way, I will say this, never lost to Stanford. I was good, uh, but that's no story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, how about your program? How are you kind of doing things differently? What is, what's Arizona State going to look like when we get back on the field in 2020? Well, we're defining our DNA. We're very young. Uh, we have a young football team, and we're trying to re we're trying to build something. And, and I think we have some some pieces now to, to do that. Uh, we've been pretty consistent the last two years. Uh, not so much in, in our conference this year, but in the North we fared pretty good. So I, I think you know having a young team, uh, there's still some some hiccups, but we're we're willing to live with that. You know, you're talking about a team that's only going to have seven seniors this year. Uh, the rest of it is, is freshmen. And, sophomores and we got a couple juniors and that's about it but I think I like the direction that we're headed in we've kind of defined our DNA of what type of student athlete we're trying to convince to come to this campus and be a part of our program so we're kind of developing a culture similar to what San Francisco had to do we were in San Francisco's you know position like they were two years ago we kind of started this thing uh together you know and so it's kind of fun to, to watch it uh, unfold Coach, the Arizona Cardinals got a couple steals, in my opinion, late. Evan Weaver out of Cal, your guy, you know, Benjamin. Um, what do you – you've seen Evan Weaver in person. He's one of those guys that's always around the ball. Uh, exactly right. And, you know, if you look at his 40 times and stuff like that, eh. but when you watch the tape, he continues to make tackles. In a conference that, that actually spreads the ball out a lot where you have to play in space, and he was good enough to do it, very smart. He understands uh, – he reads formations. Uh, he knows where to go, uh, you know – whether he's pressuring the quarterback or whether he's dropping in zone. So he's going to have a chance to make that team. He should be a core special teamers right away. Our guy, Eno Benjamin, uh, obviously he fell a little further than people anticipated. Hmm. But speaking with him, I told him, I said, you couldn't find a better spot to be at with the Cardinals because of how they run their offense. I don't think people realize how good he is coming out of the backfield catching the ball. So I, mean, I think they're going to use him in space. And he can make you miss in space now. He, he has some ability to to make people miss. If you watch him on tape, that's what you see over and over. The first tackler hardly ever tackles a guy. He makes a miss. So I think this is a good matchup uh, for both these uh, players. Coach, um, just a couple more. The, the hobbies, have you picked up anything new? And are you watching The Last Dance? Because I am just locked into that. I, you know, I, I haven't watched that. I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I saw this all unfold, um, uh, you know, when it was taking place. I mean, I was old enough to watch this, right? And so I haven't watched it, but it's kind of interesting how young people are kind of talking about this now. Mm. And they're really learning, how, I think, how great Michael Jordan really was as a basketball player. You know, a lot of people have their – young kids have their shoes and they see the jump guy, but, but now they're witnessing the guy's mentality. And, and, and it's kind of ironic. It's kind of eerie in the fact that as great as this team was and as great as Michael Jordan has been as a basketball player, a guy that, that has left us too soon in life is Kobe Bryant. Kobe had a lot of those traits. Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate. I, I, I'm fortunate. I know those guys. You know, I know them personally. And so there was a lot of things when Kobe was coming up, you know, when, when Kobe's dad played in Philadelphia, Jelly Bean Brown, when I was 
with the Eagles. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, knowing that he had a son and all that and following him through his career as a high school player and then going to the Lakers and then, you know, watching Michael Jordan in that era, there's just, there's this kind of eerie feeling that, you know, Kobe had kind of the same mentality that Michael had. And with what these guys have accomplished uh, in their careers, uh, and, and Kobe, you know, God, God, God rest him and bless him and his family as well, left this earth way too soon. Sure. But what he was able to establish uh, as a Laker and the championships he won and what Michael Jordan had done, you know, it, 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 bears, it bears looking at going, wow, this is really something special. Last one for you, Coach. Um, what question do you get asked the most on these 120, 200 Zoom calls of last month? The same thing as Coach. When you're going back, and I'm going, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't call this play. <laughs> it's not, it's not my call, you know. And, and I think as long as we understand that, because if, because if you don't, you get a little bit disappointed, right? Because you have, as a coach, you're always planning. You're always, well, one week leaves, you got to go to the next game. Mm-hmm. We have a Pac-12 meeting with the coaches that actually be tomorrow. And so we'll discuss again, you know, if, 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 if the season's shortened or if it's pushed forward, how do we deal with that? So we have a lot of plans. We will be organized once this thing comes back. Mm-hmm. But the part of it is that we don't get to make the call. Sure. And we got to realize that. And as much as we'd like to, um, it's not our call. Coach, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate your time. And uh, please stay safe, stay healthy. And we can't wait for to. See you soon on the field up in here in the Bay Area taking on Cal and Stanford. So we appreciate your time. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Stay safe. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother.